Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 460. I'm back to the same thing. Pursue what you enjoy. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Skip Barber. Skip, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready and I'm glad to be here. All right, great. It's my pleasure. Skip Barber is the president and the sole owner of the world's most beautiful and historically significant motorsports and automotive venues, Lime Rock Park. He started racing in 1958, and he won his first race and held 32 track records around the country. He founded the Skip Barber Racing School in 1975 and built it into a premier organization that launched many professional drivers' careers and some not-so-professional vintage <laughs> racers like myself. I took classes at the Skip Barber Racing School in Laguna Seca. Skip sold the school in 1999, and in 1983, he acquired Lime Rock Park with six other investors. And since buying them all out, the track and facility has undergone a massive improvement to keep this iconic track and course into the future. Skip, I've told our listeners just a tiny, tiny bit about your incredible history with automobiles and racing. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career, your life, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Sure. You mentioned three different involvements with automobiles, racing, the racing school in Lime Rock, but there's a fourth. When I sold the school, which with hindsight was a huge mistake, I had a little bit of money for the first time in my life, and of course, I spent it on cars. <laughs> um, and I've managed to, uh, I've been really lucky, really fortunate with the cars I bought, and I've been able to build that into a um, a small collection and also live off the proceeds. Nice. Very nice. I love it. Well, we'll talk a little bit about those cars, but before we get rolling into the questions, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your history? Well, I got real interested in sports cars when I was in high school. And when I was in college in the late 50s, it was very fashionable to have a sports car, preferably a British sports car. It's completely different than now. Mm -hmm. Everybody had a sports car. I had a $200 worn out MGTA, a pre-war MG, 
Oh wow! But it was a it, it was a great car, and colleges actually uh, had car clubs and competition between colleges in cars. You know, all that's gone, and that's that's really how I got launched, if yeah. you will. Oh, very cool! That sounds like fun. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about how you went through your life and about this collection of cars. I'm eager to hear that. But first, as we continue your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And it's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? Skip, I know you love to drive, so take the wheel. Well, I'm going to disappoint you. (laughs) I don't have a good quote. But I have a a general idea. Awesome. You know, like almost everybody that goes racing, I tried as hard as I possibly could. Everybody who does that wants to win, wants to succeed. Mm -hmm. That's normal. But then when I went into business, which was the racing school, I had the same attitude. I wasn't in it to make a profit. I never thought about profit. As long as we could keep getting more cars, I was fine. What I thought about was how can we do it better? How can we absolutely be the best? And we attracted people with that same kind of motivation. And we ended up with a great company. And I think that's the way you should tackle anything you do in life. You know, you dropped a value bomb there for our listeners. It's so important. And it's what Cars Yeah is all about is people who've taken their passion and wrapped it into their lives and their vocations. And Focusing first on the passion part of it and, of course, good business acumen and all those things that you need to do to stay in business, like to pay the bills. But it's so nice to hear that, that that was the start of Skip Barber Racing School and it wasn't primarily focused on the business side. It was the passion you had for cars. I love that. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? You talked about being a that college kid involved with cars. But is there a pivotal moment, as you can remember in your life, when you really knew that you were a car guy? Yeah, I was seven or eight. I grew up in Philadelphia, and we lived on a block where there was a long alley that ran parallel to the main street behind all the uh, houses on the block. Mm -hmm. And we lived in the middle, and we had a garage on the alley. And my parents let me drive our car. I literally was seven or eight. I could just (laughs) see over the windshield. Of course, it had a clutch. And what I was allowed to do was back down the alley to one end, drive forward to the other end, and then back up. Oh, my gosh. So I did exactly as many miles backwards as forwards (laughs) when when I was a kid. I was an ace. And And it kept going like that. My dad had a farm. And I was able to drive the tractor on the farm. Mm -hmm. And I was driving long before it was legal. Yeah, well, that's when you were bit. How fun. My son got to drive his first time when he was eight years old, a little Volkswagen bug. And I remember putting pillows underneath him. And I'd have to kind of reach over because he couldn't reach the clutch. So I'd kind of push it for him. And yeah, great fun. Great fun. Backing down the alley. That's pretty cool. Not too many people get real good at backing up, so you must be the master of backing up. <laughs> Seriously, I was. Uh, very cool. Skip, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and talk about a huge challenge, or even better, a great failure that you faced along the way in your career. And the most important part of this, of course, has to do with what did it teach you, how did you come out of it, and what did you learn? Well, I know a fair amount about failure. I was very unsuccessful as a racing car driver compared to the ability I had. Mm. I I didn't I was so naive and 
so shy that I thought it was all about how you drove. In every kind of racing I did, I was either the fastest guy or nearly the fastest guy. But I did nothing to promote myself. I mean, I didn't even know how to ask somebody if they'd like to help me. Mm. And and a huge irony is that after the school, got after I started the school and we were really charging along with that, I became a good marketing guy. And it took me years to figure out why why could I do it then and not when I was a race car driver. And it's pretty simple. When you're a race car driver, you're promoting yourself. When you're trying to make a school work, you're promoting the whole concept and how good everybody else is. And that was easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is a really important story, again, for those entrepreneurs out there that are trying to find their way in business. When you say the name Skip Barber, everybody thinks Skip Barber Racing. They think racing, school, learning how to drive fast. I mean, you did an exemplary job of promoting that brand, that name. And even though you haven't owned the business for, what's it been, 17 years now? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. Everyone just still thinks that's the guy. He's still there. He's still doing that. So a really important story for those listeners out there to learn of the importance of promoting yourself. You can do it, of course, without being a, a boisterous type egocentric person, right? Yeah, but you can't do it. It's not promoting yourself. It's it's promoting a good product. Mm, yeah. um, you know, back to what I was saying earlier about just trying to do it as well as you can do it. Mm-hmm. Little story with that at the beginning of the school, say the first five or six years, we'd have a meeting at the end of every year. And normally when companies do that, they're, of course, looking at statements and and talking about profit or loss. Mm-hmm. All we talked about was how can we do it better? Mm. That was the only topic of our once-a-year meeting. That's a lot different than um, worrying about having everybody else drive one less lap, to, you know, a session to save gas or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful insider story, and I really appreciate you taking us down that very personal road and journey that you had. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a career aha moment. I like to say it's when those headlights come on and really illuminate your way for this new concept, this new idea you had for your career, your business. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success. I don't think this is going to be uh, the really good story you want. When I started the racing school, I had no idea if it was a good idea. I mean, other sports had coaches, but car racing didn't really. I mean, there were a couple of schools, but nobody knew anything about them. I didn't know anything about them. And it was that first summer discovering that you really could teach people how to drive. That was the big, a big deal for me. And the second was that I enjoyed the process of being in business, you know, which is all about problem solving. And that's what racing is. Just the the problems come at you a lot faster in a race car, but it's kind of the <laughs> same. No, I'm serious. It's, just, I mean, yeah. thousands of sensations. I mean, you don't realize how many. So I came out of that first season when we just did racing schools in New England at Thompson and Lime Rock thinking, this is really fun. Yeah. I didn't know if I could ever make a living at it. Sure. I was still racing when I started it and wasn't expecting to make a living at it. Um, so that, I guess, was the big aha moment. Wow, maybe this is a viable thing. Well, I can't even imagine. I don't know if there's a way to even count how many people's lives you've affected in teaching them 
how to drive better, be a safer driver, even as it translates to the street. Because when I went through your school, I thought I was okay, but I knew I could learn a lot. But how much of that transferred to driving on the street, being safer on the street? Of course, the racetrack was a big piece of it because I was racing at the time. But uh, I know it helped me many, many times when I came into near crash situations with other people who were being inattentive or coming across their lane, or maybe I was going a little too quick around that wet corner or icy corner and had to catch the car. So you've, you guys in your, your exemplary uh, staff that you had back then and still to this day did an awesome job, I'm sure, of helping so many people. Well, you know, the skills are the same. It's hard to convince people that. But, I mean, to be fast as a race car driver and be good on the street, mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to being a good breaker, you know, in the race car, you're doing that to be able to go down the straight just a little longer before you put the brakes on. But all those, the, the way you do that's the same way you avoid the baby carriage. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, it's just that you come to a stop in that situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's really applicable. I used to get, I mean, not every day, but a sizable number of letters a year about you saved my life. Often well after the person had done a school. I mean, mm-hmm. a decade afterwards. Oh, yeah. 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 I put my kids through driving school when they were first driving, and uh, they've told me over and over how it's helped them many, many times. My son's on the East Coast in college right now and having to drive in snow and ice, and to this day, he goes, oh, Dad, those things that I learned in those uh, you know, teen driving schools really have helped me drive. Before I get to this next question, was there an aha moment for you when you decided to, to, to purchase, you put some investors together and you purchased Lime Rock Park? Was there some kind of an aha that happened in your brain that, hey, it's time for me to own a racetrack? No, it wasn't aha. It was uh oh. Oh, <laughs> um, the we were the Lime Rock was the most important track for us as a racing school. Mm-hmm. We were the big renter of the track, and the guy that owned it, who was an amateur racer and who had stopped racing, had no other interest in cars or anything automotive, told the world he was going to sell it. And there were a group of guys who were vintage racers who were talking pretty seriously about buying it. Mm -hmm. And in my eyes, they were extremely unrealistic. They were going to build a hotel on the site, not to replace the racetrack, but to help it. Mm -hmm. No No hotels around here do well. And another one would have been a financial disaster. And I just saw bad things happening down the road and Mm -hmm. and, – who knows what would happen to the place? So I put together a group of uh, guys who were school graduates or race series drivers. None of us really had any money. We borrowed all the money, every penny of it. Um, there were six of us, and each guy's financial obligation was to make two mortgage payments a year. Mm. And that's how all that got started. No no capital. Wow. Well, it's incredible how far you've come. and. And what you've done, I had Rick Rosso from your facility on the show about a month ago, and he was talking about the incredible infrastructure reconditioning, if you will, that you've done I mean, at a very high level at a very high cost. So uh, we'll talk about that as we go up. But let's talk a little bit about proudest career moments. I would assume you've had many throughout all the years you've been in business, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Certainly the racing part of it, the first professional race I did in a Lotus 23 I beat Jim Clark in an identical car and he said he said I'll see you in 
Senor, I didn't know where I didn't know where that was, yeah. and never went there. Yeah, wow. Um, once the school was really, really established, and we we switched from um, BMW to Chrysler as our main car company. Bob Eaton, who was the uh, chairman of Chrysler, he's the guy who made the deal. Which said, "We want to be a great company." And for about ten years, Chrysler was mm-hmm. in the nineties. He said, "So we got to associate with great companies." Mm. That was pretty nice. Yes, absolutely. We had a reunion. I didn't have. I was lucky. I got invited uh, to a skip reunion at the Daytona Twenty Four Hour a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there were a huge number of people there, and and that you know we were a big family and that was very satisfying yeah. certainly for me but i think for i hope for everybody uh, how many people get to say they raced against jim clark and beat him not too many so <laughs> very cool i love that let's have a little bit of fun here what was your first really special car and maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle you mean after the driveway car well yeah of course <laughs> maybe something that you finally acquired I had some pretty bad experiences. The uh, first sports car I bought, which was I was going to race, was an MGTC that had been raced by a then-famous guy named Bob Holbert, Al Holbert's oh, father. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I went off to my first SCCA driving school and broke the crankshaft on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Oh, ouch. Uh, which destroyed the whole engine. So I was out of business for a while. Yeah. I had a Turner, which is something nobody ever heard of, which had an, an Austin Healey Sprite motor, you know, a thousand cc motor, uh-huh. and and I ran that in the in the early '60s. A friend of mine and I ran it, penniless operation, but he was an awful good mechanic, and that was the very beginning, that particular class of of kind of factory participation in in. Uh, SCCA racing. I mean, it was a very small start. Mm-hmm. Sunbeam Alpine, a British car. A guy drove that with, well, the factory owned it. Yeah. Um, and there was a small French car uh, called a DB that the importer ran it. And since nobody knew what the car was, they could write all the rules for. <laughs> and I had a wonderful season where generally I beat those guys and um, – and and I was really fond of that car. Oh, yeah. Well, you spoke at the beginning of our discussion about a car collection that you've built over time. So is there a, a, a pivotal point when you're that first car that you acquired and said, you know what, I'm going to start collecting cars after you sold the school and you had a few coins in your pocket? Is there a car that you've bought that you went, oh, man, I've wanted something like this my whole life? I have been extremely fortunate that way, and there's more than one. The first car I bought was an Ace Bristol, mm. which I bought as I was selling the school. The first expensive car I bought was a 275 GTB Ferrari, beautiful yellow coupe, but it wasn't a really good one, and it was frustrating to drive, which seems strange. I bought it. I bought a real C-type Jaguar, and I loved that car. I turned. I turned it into my daily commuter. Wow! I, I had three different routes to work. You know, a smooth one, one with lots of corners in it, mm-hmm. and another one. But it's, this sounds like an awful thing to say. After a while, with a a really older car, 
I, I don't want to say you get tired of it, but it's not unreasonable to say, okay, I've driven that thing for three years and to turn it into something else. Mm-hmm. And I've, so I've done that a few times and, and, uh, the car I have, the cars I have now that I like, really like, I have a uh, 275 GTB Ferrari that, that is a good one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's terrific. Yeah. Uh, well, you talked yeah. about turning cars. My next question here has to do with seller's remorse. Is there one vehicle you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? And I'll premise this with not because of the value, because we've all seen what car values have done lately, especially lately, but more emotional that you would just wish you had back. The C-Type. Ah, yes. <laughs> the C-Type. Beautiful yeah. cars. Yeah, they are beautiful. Well, let's talk a little bit about current projects. I know that you just underwent a massive renovation. I would love for you to Tell our listeners a little bit more of what's happening there at Lime Rock Park and what you're doing for this new year in 2016. Can I describe the place first? You I absolutely s- can. Yes, I would love to have you do that. Assuming most folks haven't been here. Lime Rock's different than almost any other track in that it is really a park. I mean, it's not owned by the Parks Department, but it's all rolling hills. There is not one seat. Not one grandstand. It's all about blankets and lawn chairs. Mm. And it is beautiful to look at. I mean, Jalopnik, excuse me about that, um, said we were the most beautiful uh, track in North America. We support that. But we had to do the, – the infrastructure is really antiquated. Limerock's 57 years old, 58 years old. So we spent a lot of money on – the paddocks, uh, making them so they drained right. I mean, they're graded within a quarter of an inch or something. So we have no puddles. We pushed around a lot of earth in the spectator areas to make the sight lines a little better. But if you hadn't been to Lime Rock for 25 years and came now, mm. you might not even notice it, mm. you know, unless you went to one of those areas. Right. We took down scruffy trees that were in the way of of seeing where you wanted to see but we planted 200 more you know we've rebuilt the bathrooms that kind of thing it's not mm-hmm. it's not obvious and that was the idea you know it's like restoring a, a beautiful old colonial house in this part of the world but it still looks the same yes it's just that when you turn the water on it works <laughs> and uh i mean we still have a long way to go we spent $4 million last year. Oh, my gosh. Um, and we're going to have a fundraising drive. I mean, we can't do any more. We're going to have a fundraising drive to, to try to raise $2 million over the next couple of years. We call it the road to 60 because we'll be 60 years old in two years. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that we put a place on your Cars Yeah show notes page where people can go and learn more about that. So if they want to contribute and help, they can. But before we get on with the next group of questions here, which I call the last lap, I have an interesting question for you, a very introspective question for you. If you were a car skip, what kind of car would you be? And I'll include race car if you'd like. And why? Well, you know, I I didn't mention what I think is my favorite car. And you said, you know, nothing to do with price. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I had as many as 12 cars at one point, some expensive and some not. And for sure, the greatest pleasure does not come from the most expensive car. And I have a 356 Porsche Coupe. Mm which is worth nothing compared to 
the GTB Ferrari. Mm-hmm. But boy, it's my car of choice anytime. And I'd like, if I was going to be a car, that is a shockingly modern car for a car that was built in 1961. Yeah. I mean, it is a really, by modern standards, except for the brakes, it is a really nice car to drive, but it's small, it's light. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's efficient in every way. It's not great looking. I'd like to be good looking, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a real little jewel. Oh, yeah, I love the way you answered that question, and I've got a soft spot in my heart for Porsches. I would love to have an old 356 someday. There's just something really magical and special. I've been able to drive a few. I've never owned one. Mostly 911s I've had, but uh, very nice way you answered that. I like that quite a bit. So, Skip, up next is... Lip, lip, can I interrupt you and add to it? Absolutely. Mine's not quite a regular 356. I don't know if you've ever heard of, of a Polo motor. A Polo? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Guy in California who takes a six-cylinder 911 motor, cuts it in half, takes out two of the cylinders, mm-hmm. and makes a four-cylinder 911 motor, which weighs about the same as the four-cam motor that was in the Carrera mm-hmm. version of my car. And like with a 911 motor, you can make it pretty much any size you want. So I have a 3.4-liter, four-cylinder 911 that makes 220 horsepower at the rear wheels in my my 356 coupe. The motor looks like it belongs in the car. It's dead stock stock looking, and it's awful fast. Oh, my God. Those are uh, built by Dean Uh, Polopolis. Is that how you say his last name? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those are – wow. Very cool. I – I'm so happy that you have that in that car. That's pretty neat. <laughs> a lot, Rod 356. Very nice. I love it. Thanks for sharing that. So skip up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. 
Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Skip, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You're a racer. You know what this means. The white flag's out. It's time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Yep. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Big moment of silence here. <laughs> um, I don't know. Are you talking about if I were going to buy a car? Oh, I have one. Yeah, it could be It could be buying a car. It could be racing Okay, buying a car, buying okay. a uh, not buying a new car, buying a collector car or a classic car, and this is I know this is gospel. Buy the best one of that type you can afford. Oh yes. Don't buy the bargain car. Buy the best one. Yep, absolutely. Very wise words. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? Where did you get these questions? This is, <laughs> this, this is, uh, I, I thought, tough. I thought very carefully about my list of questions when I started cars. Yeah. You know, this isn't going to be a little pitter patter banter here. Uh, we want to get into the nitty gritty of who you are. So, well, people accuse me of being a workaholic. Yep. Um, I like, I've, I mean, the working I've done has been my life. Yeah. Um, so I'm again fortunate. I, I like going to work. I, I don't. That's not a problem for me. I'm not anxious to retire. I'm not anxious to go to the beach. The secret of life you've discovered through hard work, perseverance, and uh, persistence. Doing something you'd like. I mean, isn't that the key? That is the key to cars, yeah, and that is the key to happiness in life for sure. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of resources out there these days online. Is there one in particular that you really enjoy? Maybe it's a website you visit often. Maybe it's a blog you get. Maybe it's an application you use on a phone. I don't know. Well, I'm an old guy. So I'm from a time when you talked, even on the phone, <laughs> um, with uh, people in in the same industry or the same whatever it is you do. Mm-hmm. And that's always been hugely valuable to me. The open, um, we have a, a group of all the road racing tracks in the U.S. or the major ones anyhow. And we meet a couple of times a year. And that kind of thing is hugely valuable to me. Yes. You know, we're all friends. We trust each other yeah. and we learn from each other. Communication is the key. Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've maybe read recently or in the past that you think our listeners should get their hands on and read as well. Well, there's a book about driving race cars called Going Faster. I like it. Um, yeah. That's called The Skip Barber. But I didn't write it. A guy who uh, worked for us wrote it. I think it's still the best how-to book. Yep. Yeah. Great book. Great book. I've got it on my shelf. Well, listeners, again, I'll remind you, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyeah.com slash skip barber. Just type skip in the search bar and his Name will pop up with links to all these great resources. And there's a great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books where this book and all the other past guest books are listed for quick, easy links. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here, Skip. And this, this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price because today I'm writing that check, what would that one vehicle be? And more importantly, why? Boy, 
I think it would be my 356 with a polo motor if we could make the carburation right, <laughs> which has been a huge battle. Well, you know, this is pretty cool because for the very few guests that I've had on that pick a car they've already, they already have in their garage means an awful lot that you found Nirvana, you found your dream. So let's talk a little bit more about this car because you talked about the, the motor in this thing. So otherwise, is it a stock car, pretty much stock, everything else? Well, it's got trick shock absorbers and it's got, <laughs> it's got disc brakes in the front that are inside the brake drum. Oh, okay. Yeah, it looks absolutely stock. What color is it? It's the original uh, silver. You know, Porsche made about five different silvers mm-hmm. in a in say a ten year period, and and this is the original one. This is a West Coast car. It's from the state of Washington. Oh, okay. it was it, it it was an SECA car, and somebody drove it into something, mm-hmm. and it and it sat for years. Uh, so it's it's got. I mean. If anybody's a port old Porsche guy or VW guy out there, it's got the original floor with the original um, yeah. uh, soundproofing or whatever the coating is on yeah. it. I mean, it's it's for sure original. Is it a a, a coupe or Cabriolet? It's a coupe. It's coupe. a coupe. It's okay. a coupe. It's a coupe. Of course, race car. Yeah, very very cool. Well, that's pretty nice that you have that car. Maybe what I can do, since I don't have to buy you cars, I'll buy you a personal mechanic who can keep that carburetion set right for you. How's that? That would be very good. <laughs> I wish I could come out there and help you with that. I'm not as skilled as a mechanic as I wish I could be, but uh, I'm sure we can find somebody to help you get that car right so you can enjoy it more. Skip, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your incredible journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Is there one parting piece of guidance you might offer those listeners out there before you drive off down the racetrack in that 356 Porsche? I'm back to the same thing. Pursue what you enjoy. Yes, absolutely important. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and Lime Rock Park? Well, of course, Lime Rock has a website, mm-hmm. which we are hoping to overhaul this spring, but, but we do have a decent website. Yeah, it's a great website. Again, listeners, I'll encourage you to check it out. If you're ever in that part of the world, Connecticut, you've got to go to Lime Rock Park. It is one of those iconic tracks that you have to attend at least once hopefully a lot more than once in your life beautiful place i can't wait to see what you've done with all the uh, improvements the next time i'm out there to visit skip i want to thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and with the cars yeah listeners until we talk again i'll see you down the road thanks for having me you're welcome thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at cars yeah Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.